I'd like to welcome everybody here tonight. Thank you for uh, coming out to our pub night. And uh, on behalf of Meeting House and Wycliffe College, we just welcome you here tonight. And uh, hopefully we're in store for an uh, interesting conversation about the world of math. And more importantly, how math relates to God and faith and, and these types of things. Uh, and so I'd just like to introduce our guest this evening. Uh, Professor John Bland, who is here at U of T's Department of Mathematics. Uh, John is a specialist in differential geometry and comp several complex variables. Is that right? Works for me. Okay. Uh, and he's going to share a little bit about that. Uh, and uh, so we're just going to have a little discussion, and then we're going to move into a time of Q&A, and hopefully uh, we end up somewhere at the end of the day. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, I'm, I'm sure all geometry people are about Plato's Republic and uh, the sign about Plato's Academy door. Do you, are you familiar with that? No, remind me. Yeah. Uh, so uh, above Plato's uh, Academy, the door of the school, it says like, no one who is unversed in geometry may enter here. Uh, and so before you could study philosophy, you had to master mathematics. And uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, bit. But uh, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, how you chose math, because that seems like something that's not uh, <laughs> people's first choice usually, and, uh, and uh, how you kind of came here to U of T. So uh, I think I sort of fell into mathematics, more than anything else. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, when I was in school, I found it fairly easy. When I got to university, I just sort of continued in it. After my undergrad, I, I had a difficult time, actually. Uh, and then after my undergrad, I took some time off. And after that, I realized, well, you know, I have to go back and do something. And mathematics was something that I really so I did that. Uh, why mathematics? I always liked questioning things. Uh, I love puzzles. I, I showed you one, right? Yeah, um, I failed. Yeah. I spent like half an hour on this thing. And, uh, yeah. so, so every I mean, Christmas time, I always got to do a puzzle. You know, take the puzzles apart. Uh, just word puzzles. Uh, but you know, one of the things was that I like to question just life and how things work. And people would refer to me as a philosopher. They thought of me as a philosopher. And I think one of the things I liked about mathematics was that one of the problems I have with philosophy is that it's words. And you can discuss everything and make a rational argument, but you can never nail it down. There's no right or wrong. One of the things I really love about mathematics is there is a right or wrong. It's it's grammar. You can tell when you get the answer. So that's a little bit. So uh, some people have said that mathematics is the language of God. Uh, that's a pretty bold statement. Uh, have you ever heard that statement or reflected on it? And uh, what is that? What resonates with you or what doesn't resonate with you? Like yeah, I've heard that statement and I actually believe it. Okay. I, I think it's really true. Yeah. Okay, in what way? Like what's, what, what kind of 
drives you? Well, one of the things about mathematics is that you know most people do mathematics and just go about doing abstract, simple pushing and moving things around. But then uh, people start realizing something about the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics. When you push these symbols around, it always comes back to describing reality in some way. And we're seeing that more and more these days, right? When you take a look at fundamental physics, biology now, the more you, the, the deeper you go into them, there's mathematical structure that is there that is describing what is taking place. So if you want the, the language that uh, is describing these things, and God created all these things. So, so there's uh, these numbers in nature, and those, uh, is that kind of what you're talking about? Like these weird numbers that occur that don't have uh, any reason to be there? Well, no, it's, it's more than the numbers, it's the actual structure of nature. Um, even the prime numbers seem to have some, some relationship with nature. Uh, if you take a look at nature, um, okay, well, here's one of the things that, so um, complex analysis, I teach several complex variables, but complex analysis. One of the things in complex analysis is something called a harmonic function. So harmonic functions, I, I can describe them to you. You take a, a uh, wire loop, put it into a soap bubble solution, bring it up, and you'll get a soap thing. The graph of that is this, what's called a harmonic function. So mathematically, there is a very natural way to describe these things and to study them. But it also has the property that it minimizes the energy for the surface. And every place you look in nature, there is this minimization principle. If you take that principle and study nature that way, then a lot of things that seemed opaque in the past actually start showing, um, showing your structure. Another principle that, that's very common to nature is symmetry. Uh, if you take a look at, if you want to study objects like, you know, electrons, you always talk about symmetry, uh, the fact that it's spinning around. So that's an S1 symmetry. And there's a symmetry in so much of nature. It's actually what, what we use to try to describe fundamental physics, basic principle of symmetries. So how does this relate to there being a god or not? Um, or is it just the way it is because that's the only way it could be? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. So, I was really impacted listening to John Lennox at one point. John Lennox is, so I don't know if you've heard of him before, he's an apologist, he's a mathematician, uh, professor emeritus from Oxford, and now he, he um, speaks for Ravi Zacharias Ministries. And if you've never heard of him, then you should listen to him. And 
He talked about the Gospel of John. Gospel of John opens up with, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that always struck me as being abstract, and I didn't understand it. But then he explained that the word is actually information. It is concrete information that is expressed to me. And that concrete information is the mathematics. I think when he's expressing it to us, he's expressing it to us in mathematics. So your other field that you work on is differential geometry. Mm -hmm. So it, to the layman, how, do you, how would you describe that? Differential geometry. Probably the best way to start with that is to think about how the field got started. So a fellow by the name of Gallus was out he was surveying. He went out and he was surveying a piece of crop. He was on a hill here. He was standing on a hill and took a hill over here, took a hill over there. He started measuring the distances. It's a triangle, right? Straight triangle. Measured the angles. They didn't add up to 180 degrees. And so he started thinking, no, oh, well, just kind of, this isn't like a sheet of paper. It doesn't add up to 180 degrees. And so what he started thinking about is, well, of course, we live on the surface of the Earth, right? So when we live on the surface of the Earth, we measure distances local. We just say we really start measuring things. That's a very local thing. We use that to try to get a global structure of the Earth. Okay? But on the Earth, of course, the Earth is curved. Okay, what does it mean to be curved? Well, one way to describe it is that if you started at the equator and walked down towards um, Egypt, make a right angle, walk around, or start at the North Pole, walk down to the equator, make a right angle, go around a quarter of the way around the Earth, along the equator, make a right angle, go back up to the equator, or to the North Pole, you've got three right angles. They obviously don't have it uh, 180 degrees. And so he was able to actually start detecting this, this phenomenon, by just making local measurements. So differential geometry basically is you've got some sort of curved surface, and you measure things locally, and from that you try to come up with global structure. And what uh insights has that brought for you, or uh, why did you choose that kind of area to, to focus in on? Oh, why did I choose it? Just because I enjoyed it. It was just fun. <laughs> so, uh, when it comes to the, the relationship between mathematics and this undergirding of nature with mathematical principles and laws, why why does somebody say, like, Lawrence Krauss, you know, not see a creator or see a divine agent in that, and someone like you can see God's hand in, in, this, uh, in this tapestry of math underneath 
figured in this, uh, this world. Yeah, that's sort of an interesting thing. Um, and we have to bring human pride into this. Um, if I go and take a look at the Savior Mercedes, okay? It's a beautiful car. When I start studying it though and how it's made up, then I start thinking, oh well, you know, maybe maybe I could make that myself. The universe is is Awesome. It's, it's just immensely fascinating. But that's really, but God has given us a mind to understand that. And so we start understanding that. And as we start understanding that, we think we understand how things work. We think we understand how things work. And because we think we understand how things work, then we think, well, we don't need God for that. Now we understand everything. Now we can even make our own universe. Now we can make things ourselves. Yeah, I think uh, uh, there's a book called The, the Great Rift, and he kind of talks a little bit about this, um, the ability to like understand nature in a mathematical sense somehow takes away the mystery of the universe and so he, he argues that this is what's pushed uh, kind of scientific understanding of the world away from a, a religious understanding of the world. Now, you would probably disagree with that to some degree. Like, how, how for you is having the precision of understanding something completely, and like what you said, there's a right and wrong with math. Like, you take the universe and understand it mathematically and know, you know, the, the ins and outs of everything, how does that add to an understanding of God that seems to take away or replace God with uh, some kind of natural understanding of these things? Yeah, so I, I think that as we start understanding more and more of the universe and how things work, we think, um, We think because we, we understand how things work, we also understand why things are there. We don't think we need to um, look at who actually put the design in all these things. Yeah. Well, it could be just designed by nature itself. It could be designed by other things. I think it's a, again, I guess I, I think it goes back to a problem, right? I think, well, we don't need to acknowledge that there was an inside being that actually created these things. But, just because we understand how something works, I mean, it's like understanding the, the recipe for cake. Okay? You understand the recipe, you understand if you put things together, then you will get the, the, the cake. But who created it in the first place? Interesting. So, some math may be answering some of the how questions, but not the why questions. It's helping us understand the hows more and. And even the how questions. I think that 
we downgrade uh, people say, well, it's possible that this happened. Well, we have billions of years. There's enough time for this. Well, it's possible that this happened. But they, they don't understand the magnitude of numbers in the world. The magnitudes of numbers are just simply overwhelming. I mean, I gave an example once. Uh, you know, one of the things that I say is that, well, you know, if you've got enough time, then of course, all this thing takes place, right? And so we don't need any, any creative judgment to put things together. And that comes actually from the mathematical principle. If you have enough monkeys uh, typing, at some point they will type the entire encyclopedia Britannica. Okay. So I did a uh, simple experiment. I said, well, let's see. Suppose every particle in the universe was a monkey. And you had them typing for all of the 15 billion years in the universe. And they were typing, say, you know, a thousand letters a second. Well, they should get pretty far in typing the mathematical. The uh, encyclopedia. Yeah. How far do you think they get? Nine, nine, ten pages. Nine, uh, okay. <laughs> they get through in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And if you take a look at the you see, again, historically, you know, Darwin came up with the theory of evolution. When he came up with the theory of evolution, it was forms. He was looking at forms. He said, well, you know, this form looks pretty much like that. And that bird looks pretty much like that. And the other pretty much like you. That would not make too much difference, you know? And our understanding is quite simple. Since that time, we understand much better how life works, right? We understand the DNA, we have the code. But what we're missing is the absolute improbability that any of this stuff just happened by chance. I mean, that the code in one strand of DNA far surpasses you know, the first two verses of the And yet, this is random mutation. But in a guided process, like if God, in his foreknowledge, could direct that, no amount of improbability is impossible. Yeah, so it's interesting. So, so we, we think about these things and we try to see if we understand what's going on. And this, of course, is one of the big things in mathematical physics now, trying to you know, understand how. Things could evolve like that. And it's interesting, when they're doing that, basically what you're saying is that if I set up the initial conditions, if I guide it, if I guide it, then I can actually create it. Roger Penrose actually had a beautiful picture. So he was one of the foremost uh, mathematical physicists of the last century, one with Hawking. And, uh, he made an observation in physics that all 
known laws of physics are time reversal. There is no error in time. There is only one law that is not time reversal. That is the law of entropy. Law of entropy is that things tend to become more chaotic, not more ordered. So a beautiful picture. He had a glass of wine, which was just a sip. Wine was much more graphic. And a glass of wine sitting on the table. Okay. And still, the crash, the wine was all over the place. Now, according to entropy, that is not entropy increases when you do that, right? But if that were time reversible, then you could start with the broken glass, and it would come back up and reassemble into the glass, into the window. Now, when we're toying with this, this way, again, we go back to the pride, right? When, as a scientist, we toy with these things, that's essentially what we're doing. We're saying, okay, well, if I've got all these particles here, and if I start them off with the correct trajectory, with the correct velocity, and correct all the forces are in place, then eventually they will come back and come back into that point of information. Because we have to look at the lines. But of course, this goes against the grain of everything we know about. Right, I guess I was trying to promote some kind of middle road position in which God could, in his foreknowledge, do the improbable. So, and so he, he could be doing this. Yes. Yeah. He could actually, you know, be guiding all this stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Laws don't say anything about that. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, the other thing that people talk about with math, and I maybe have a little bit of it from my, I did second year math in university, so um, I don't know if I fully grasp it, but when you solve like a differential equation and it was like really complicated, there's like this feeling of satisfaction. There's almost an aesthetic quality to like getting this solution. There's a beauty in it. Um, like for you, math and beauty, is that something that you, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause like, I think some people think of math as like doing my taxes, and adding up a grocery bill, but like, what about this like aesthetic quality to math? Um, like, did you ever have a moment where you're just like, wow, that's just amazing? Oh, absolutely, math is all the time. Uh, I mean, you can take, you know, a lot of math is calculations, right? And you can do very, very hard calculations, and you can do them, uh, uh, you know, Force yourself through all the calculations and stuff like that, come up with the answer. But the thing is, what we're looking for is an elegance. Okay. And uh, so, this is doing the hard calculations is something that we generally don't consider to be beautiful. Yeah. Okay. But the final picture is something that is something. The elegance of it, the, the beauty of it, the symmetry of it. Again, symmetry. Uh, or groups, if you look at them. 
is something that um, is one of the, the criteria that we use for just deciding what is addressed in mathematics. So one of the examples, for example, is um, one of the big problems was to try to classify all shapes, say three-dimensional shapes, okay? Um, or you can see two-dimensional shapes. Okay, so you can try to classify all two-dimensional shapes and see what you get. Well, there's actually a very beautiful way to allow shapes to flow through one another until you come up with an elegant shape. It's actually, it goes back to differential geometry, it's called Ricci flow. Or actually, in, in uh, other cases, it would be called mean curvature flow. And it, again, it happens in nature because it uh, falls its minimization of the principle. So you have this very, uh, well, take a complex object, so something with lots of corners. And you start letting it flow, okay? So start letting it evolve, then eventually, when you've got corners, there's more action happening at the corners. And so they will build off. If you think of it, you could just take, you know, a, a ring shape, put it into a, a um, one of the big balls, tum a tumbler with lots of marbles and part of walnut shells and the like. What will happen is all those sharp corners will create a off, and eventually it will become a beautiful sphere. Mm -hmm. This again is this is something that's called reaching flow, and this principle that you can let very bad objects flow until you come up with something that's got beautiful symmetry to it, something that's very nice and smooth. Uh, is one of the principles of that too. Is that like a bias to spheres? Like, or something like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so, so in fact, uh, so this was uh, one of the millennial problems. Yeah. And what he did was he classified all three-dimensional objects this way. And it wasn't just spheres, but it was a, uh, okay. spheres with other, other shapes. So I saw like one study once where it looked at religious belief of scientists. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting. Maybe you could comment on this. Mm -hmm. So the least religious scientists are like biologists, and then chemists are a little bit more religious, and then Physicists are a little bit more religious, and like mathematicians are even more religious, and across different religious backgrounds, like Hindu, Muslim, Jewish. Um, why is there a decline in that direction, uh, in your opinion? Um, and do you like? Do you feel like in your call at your with your colleagues at U of T, like there are other religious people in the math department and the physics department? Um, Kind of what's your experience with that? Yeah, there are quite a few mathematicians that are quite religious. Maybe it's because we get closer to the language of God. <laughs> <laughs> I think working in biology these days is very, very difficult uh, because there's such a, a, a 
push in the opposite direction. Then you should not let God have a foot in the door. These were the differences. As soon as you allow God to have any sort of uh, foot in the door, then you aren't doing real science anymore. Mathematics certainly has, I mean, it doesn't come into play at all. It's not necessary. Although there are many people that see God in the mathematics. Have you had any interesting conversations around this with people in the department or anything? We have conversations, nothing to You see these other disciplines as they, they become more and more fundamental. It's almost indistinguishable from mathematics. So I understand the basic laws of physics. And if they may do for it's a close to one thing. Uh, understanding better about how nature works, uh, how foods flow. We, we understand the equations of attachment and understand how foods flow. Now, of course, the good thing is big data. Data is In fact, there, that's another um, thing about the uh, language of God, actually, is that, uh, you know, some people now start thinking about, well, what is the universe made of? Maybe it is just mathematics. Maybe the universe really is mathematics, and of course God is the programmer of mathematics. Now that, you know, if you just say that, that is a little perfection. Except that you start thinking about, you know, 3D individuals, virtual reality. Virtual reality is coming in. In fact, this is the first point with virtual reality will be so ubiquitous. Uh, well, ubiquitous, uh, so convincing that you'll have difficulty distinguishing between the virtual world and the other world. And yet, and so one might say, well, okay, so. It's just a computer. We don't need God for any of this, right? But that virtual reality, all the things that we do in the computer we say, it's always programmed. And God is, to me, it's, it's incontroversial. He is the Father. But, but again, and that goes back to in the beginning was the Word, made manifest. Information, virtually. Does uh, math have anything to say about like causation? In the sense that, like some physicists will say, like everything can be reducible to particles bouncing around, and we don't have free will, you know, 
in any sense, it's just we're we're just uh, we're we're just a um, consequence of all these electrons and, and protons, you know, doing their thing, and everything is just set for eternity of how the universe is going to unfold. Does math address that at all, or does that help support it, or does it even come into play? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not sure you actually can see that. Okay. I'm not sure you can. But it does make me think of another aspect, actually. Because you see, when we're describing the universe, uh, we're describing tables, chairs, things that we can see. Well, now actually we're pretty sophisticated, right? You have your cell phone. Your cell phone, you can pick up your visible signals, things that we can't see. So we're getting pretty sophisticated now, we can understand these things. But there's another aspect that it doesn't touch. There's a spiritual aspect. Is there a spiritual existence? And okay, so is is the spiritual realm separate from the mathematical realm? Or is it like some overlapping in the bridge of some kind? Yeah, so I'd say I'd say they are separate. Um, so one of the ways that mathematics has formed one theology. So again, I can take this back to John Lewis about the world and the world. One of the things that the Bible tells us is that God is three in one. God Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he said that we are created in his image. And he's a creation between them. Now, in some sense, on a physical level, we understand that that's the case. We have our physical bones and flesh, that's physical. We also have our brain and the electrical system, which operates the body, but we've also got our heart. And the circulatory system, circulatory system. But I think that's at the physical level. And I think the physical is an image of the spiritual. Because I think that we are actually three in one, just as God is three in one. God the Father is the great I am. He said, I am. I am that I am. He is the God of consciousness. He is the observance. He is the consciousness. And we have a consciousness as well. It's also the spirit. We have, we know we have a spirit. We know when we talk about people being spiritually sick. Or your spirit. Why are you so the spirit? We, we understand this on an intuitive level. We just don't want to go that way. But our spirit, spiritual element is true. And then we have our consciousness made manifest. That's the word, that's our physical body. And our physical body is made manifest. 
in one of Jim Mathematics, I think, I'm thoughts, but it's only when you put my thoughts into words that they become real objects for you. I have two questions. One you kind of touched on, um, but so you talked about how the physics or the math of physics seems to be sort of the wave of where we're going right now. But what would you say the most exciting or interesting part, like field of mathematics is right now? So that's one. And do you have a favorite theorem? That's my second question. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to say what the, uh, I mean, that, the most exciting field, of course, is uh, very dependable. Okay. Who are you talking to? Uh, I know that right now there tends to be tremendous excitement about something called big data or machine learning or, or artificial intelligence. Uh, because what it's trying to do is trying to take things that are beyond managed. And trying to understand, trying to find patterns. And when they, and the idea behind that is that within all this data, there are patterns. Just like in, in life, we see the patterns. Uh, it's very much, in some ways, it's very similar to what I was talking about before fluid. A fluid, a river, is actually, when done, Just those particles, individual particles. And yet, as they act together, we see some pattern. So there are two things capturing all of this imagination. Do I have anything to do? Or concept. Or concept. Well, I'm not going to say So the fact that you can just take shapes and you can flow them in the space is I'm just told totally YouTube like that later. Huh? I'm gonna put it back on put it on YouTube. Or I'm gonna look through YouTube that later. Oh yeah, that. I'm sure there's videos. I guess imagine a video, but hopefully I don't Somebody else have a question? Sure. Uh, it's gonna take me a sec to get to the question, but it's coming. So my understanding of when we think about math, we don't often ask, is math true? We ask, is it self-consistent and is it useful? So you talked about how sometimes math is beautiful because it keeps showing up in reality as descriptive. And that's something that makes math useful. Um, and then when I talk to people about their faith and ask them, why do you believe? Some people say, I believe because I'm sure it's true. And other people say, I believe because it's self-consistent and it appears to be useful in my life. I was wondering if my first statement about math informs why you might believe. What do you think? Kind of the, the, the starting purpose of math, like let's not worry about the axioms, let's accept them and move on and see what happens and is it useful, informs why or how you believe. I came to believe from a personal relationship, from actually coming into contact with God himself and uh, finding that personal relationship. Having a consistency is extremely important. Extremely important. And when I look at the Bible, uh, it's often said that 
I find this is the exact opposite. We can take it away enough. The deeper it is in the Bible, the deeper the meaning we find in the Bible. The more consistency, the more it explains what it is In terms of, there is a large element of it, which you touched on, which is this element of faith as well, where we believe something because of these other reasons. One of the things I love about mathematics is because I see that in So there are many things I believe is true, right? I just believe it's true, but I can't prove it. But then I know that I can go back, and many of these things I can always test myself. And some of these things I can't actually pin down. And that gives me great confidence. And so this also gives me great confidence when I walk by faith as opposed to when I can act as Does that answer your question? Yeah, so. Mm -hmm. It pokes at it. Huh? It pokes towards the answer. Oh, I think we already touched on this a little bit on big data and whatnot, but um, I'm wondering. What are your thoughts on the risk of, say, mathematical models kind of replacing God? Like, what if your pastor started deciding what to preach on based on a computer program? I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. If the pastor decided to preach on? Yes, we're coming to a place where we can like, model everything mathematically. What if, say, you start making your decisions based on what a computer tells you based on that mathematical model instead of Placing your trust in God. Yeah, I think God will always have the last word. I would not be at all surprised to see preachers start doing it and trying to replace God that way. But God will have the last word. Hi. First of all, thank you so much for coming chat with us. Again, I'm kind of on that AI um, trend. Some people, and I understand that there's two strains of AI from, correct me if I'm wrong, one being, like you said, more about looking at patterns and trying to, it's basically predictive software. It'll learn and it'll get better and it'll get more precise. But then there's also, and I forget the technical terms, but that other version of AI where people are more trying to create, you know, like robots and things um, with that learn and not just to predict things, but actually to have a level of consciousness and um, and <laughs> the internet of things, you know, being afraid that you know somebody our fridge is going to become like a terminator and just take over. But I think what and I I've heard some basic arguments against that or like to you know quell the fears, but I've also heard some very um, real things in the sense that once. Once people start racing towards being, you know, the, like we had the race to space, but now it's that who's going to make the first robot? Who's going to make the first this? Who's going to use like machine and AI learning to do things first? And sometimes at the risk of not thinking of the the ethical consequences of that. I mean, it's not really a question, but what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I think it's a huge risk. Yeah. I mean, and 
that I listened, just happened to listen to a brief discussion about this recently. And uh, we're talking about well, how do you tell someone actually if your robot feels something? Well, from the external point of view, all we can tell is by the reactions. Do they give all the indications that they actually feel something? And yeah, I think that that's going to come. Where do they feel? It's just like the artificial reality of feels. But I think that we're more than just the particles that make us up. I really think we are body, mind, and spirit. And God will have the last word. But in terms of, you know, here and now, what we're going to do, it could be a rough thing. I struck at the beginning of your conversation how you talked about how, uh, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, that um, um, math can produce kind of irrefutable results. It's either right or it's wrong. Uh, and that, that sounds to me like kind of a very uh, modernist claim that many so-called postmodernists would want to object to or respond to. But it seems to me as though there, if there is a case for uh, modernism and foundationalism, that it's probably in your backyard rather than in anybody else's backyard. Uh, so what do you think about those who would say, and there are some philosophers who would say this, that even, even mathematics is not kind of objective. You spoke about the language of God, and in philosophy these days, um, language is a big deal, and, and language is actually the thing that uh, kind of detonates objectivity, because we, we can't avoid communicating using language which has limitations, and one sign is always kind of uh, dictated by a counter sign or another sign, and there's all this kind of loss of clarity that comes even with the use of language. Is mathematics like that, and are you kind of a, a modernist because you believe in the uh, objective reality of mathematical formula, or how do you reconcile that with this kind of postmodern skepticism that's around in philosophy? Well, I definitely don't agree with postmodern skepticism. So, I mean, mathematics can, of course, become extremely complicated. It becomes you know, on the It becomes, it's difficult to nail down in a precise sense. Uh, but certainly, you know, counting one, two, three, and finding one, so, uh, yeah, you can actually establish things, you can prove things. There, there is uh, a definite answer to these things. And some people, for example, would say that even sort of like uh, the ambiguity that's inherent in, in quantum physics and that kind of thing points to a certain inability to sort of pin things down. Uh, and I, I, I can't see how I can see how math kind of defies that. I mean, you know, I get the equation right or we don't. But it seems to me as though if that's true, then that really presents kind of a challenging alternative to a lot of the skepticism that prevails in our culture that says that truth is always relative to something else. You know, we're kind of like it's as though we're a, a ship that's afloat in the ocean and we're trying to repair the ship. But there's no kind of compass or bearing. There's no there's no kind of firm basis upon which we can rest anything. And math kind of seems to fly in the face of that. And I just wondered whether you kind of want to put a stake down. And, and, and I mean, are you saying that you're not a postmodernist? 
So it sounds like you do have a stake in the ground and, and you feel like you're on solid ground. And I just try to reconcile those two. So it may be that as we, God is much more awesome. Absolutely. He has given us a moral. He's created us in his image. He's given us tremendous gift. And tremendous gift to understand this fraction of the way he has created things. But the, the first fall was our pride that we could actually become. So just go back to the stake in the reality. I think God is the true reality. There, there is no shades of reality. It's actually fun. Mathematics is actually fun. You can take it and push it. Now, that doesn't mean we can explain everything. Quantum mechanics, for example. The mathematics of quantum mechanics can be further and solved without quantum mechanics itself, its predictive ability to be uh, completely further. Okay? It's still an approximation to the world of God. So we, we shouldn't sort of, we shouldn't run the models. We shouldn't forget about the fact that there is an ultimate creator in the world of God. And he is for And we will never be that. We will never be that. But he has given us an ability to understand that. And just like, You know, right now we don't understand quantum mechanics completely, although we can use it effectively. Maybe if we um, come back and call upon God again, we will get to the point where we can understand that as well. And there will be another thing that we can understand. Most never speaking to a microphone, never know to speak louder. Uh, um, you said that perhaps uh, reality is all math underlying. Uh, is uh, really fundamental is mathematics, maybe some kind of platonic, you know, platonic sense. Um, Sean Carroll is a Secular naturalist physicist. He said something in the sorts of ways he describes fundamental physics in kind of formal terms that it's all just uh, he, he, he's fond of the idea of uh, fields, quantum field theory, but then he sometimes describes it as just formal relationships like, uh, like a set of numbers. Well, if it's, if everything is uh, 
formal in that sense. Uh, I don't see how, for example, causality is possible because we tend to think of causality as uh, you know A causing B, but we can't think about numbers in the same sense. Uh, sort of A affecting the existence or the fact of B, but one doesn't, one plus one doesn't cost two in that sense, it's just a formal uh, relationship, kind of a structure. So uh, I kind of like that because it's a kind of uh, almost like an inconsistency in congruity in the worldview, which is nice because it's, it gives a bit of a it's a little ungrounded, but it gives a uh, room and scope to kind of take it more, uh, not too seriously, even find things of uh, fundamental physics or mathematics. Care to come? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good, good point about uh, causality, you know, that is, comes in with. Uh, and I have to actually think about how I'm causing it. Whether that's a, a different problem. Uh, whether when I say all reality is a rule of mathematics, then mathematics is a question. It's, it's a little bit like virtual reality. That is all that It's completely computing code. And of course, it can change. Being computing code to us and tells us who Now, I didn't say all of reality is mathematics because, again, I go back to the God is three in one. When we're talking about reality, we're really talking about the way this being fresh, objective. We're missing the ability of consciousness and spirit. Okay? And free will has to There is something just like that. Um, we can't really define what life is. Somehow we know when something stops, that there is some presence. That leaves that life. We don't understand that. I don't think that can be understood on a purely physical level. 